Unwritten contains mature language, content, and themes. Please listen with care. Do you struggle to find the right selection at your local convenience store? Do you have three errands to do but don't have time to go to three different places? Then come to Big Box. We'll satisfy all your customer needs. From home decor to top technology assistance to local factory source grocery selection. We have it all. Only at Big Box. Come on in. Big Box. Big Box. Come and get what you need. Big Box. Big Box. Half the price and twice the speed. Got it all. It's just unwritten, not putting it off. Just trying to figure it out. If what I say comes to fruition, with these words I can't play around. Walking on wires without a net, ending up alone. It hasn't happened yet. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten, starring Luna Madison, Jordan Lopez, David Senator, and I'm Sean Gunther. Season 2, Episode 3, Defiled is My Name. Written by Stephen Kallenberg, directed by Chris Burnside. Also starring Donald Smith, Sarah Amar, Connor Peterson, Tim Madden, Carly Reisenhoover-Peterson, Norb Wessels, Zach Duncan, Amanda Schrader, and Aaron Ryan. Elaine and Chelsea are in Chelsea's car and nearing her apartment. So, I need to finish school. I'm only one class short, but I lost my teaching position, so I would need to get a filler job just to pay rent. Right. And on the subjects, I don't even have a place to live. I understand, so... What can I do? I I would need a place that's cheap. Yup. That's still close to campus in case I can go back. Uh Uh-huh. It wouldn't even need to be that big. I don't have much. Hey, can I maybe stay with you just for a little while? Until I find a place? Uh, my place? Uh, yeah, I can probably make that work. Minutes later, Chelsea opens the door to her apartment and enters, followed by Elaine. Thanks again for letting me stay. I know it doesn't really fit into your plans, but... Elaine freezes, looking around the room. Glittery hand-cut letters hang across the ceiling that read, Welcome Home, Laney. Elaine's laptop sits on the coffee table, alongside copies of The Age of Innocence, Crusade for Justice, and Edgar Allan Poe, A Tree. We're a bit cramped, but I was able to snag stuff from your old apartment before your parents cleaned it out. Elaine recognizes her own suitcase, stuffed to bursting, 
on the couch itself are fresh sheets, a small comforter, and... Is that my favorite pillow? It's your favorite pillow case. Did you ever look at the stains on that pillow? Gross. Thank you. It's not much, but it's, you know, insert cliche word for where I live. You're the best. Hold on. Chelsea pulls out her phone. Say that again. You're the best? Chelsea snaps a grinning selfie, with Elaine looking confused over her shoulder. Why? Now I have it on record, and a snapshot of the moment. I will cherish it always and hold it over your head forever. So, I know that I need to look for a job so I don't mooch off you for too long. But right now, all I want to do is take a shower, a real shower, and shave my legs. They don't allow razors at the center. Okay, just don't clog my drain, Sasquatch. An hour later, Elaine and Chelsea sit on the couch in front of Elaine's laptop. You know, I didn't really miss the internet. Except on movie night, when I'd see some actress and have no idea what other movie I remembered her from. That was infuriating. I look at IMDb at least once per movie, but you have a job to do, or rather a job to get. I won't let my parents hold finances over me anymore. Not with rent, not with tuition, not with anything. I make my own ends meet starting now. <laughs> That's badass. Just one problem. How do I begin? Elaine Harper, entering the workforce. Have you ever even searched for a job before? Chelsea pulls out her phone to take another picture, but Elaine bats it away before she can. Chelsea, I seriously don't know how to do this. <laughs> don't worry. This is going to be super fun. Ooh, hold on. I'll be right back. Chelsea disappears around the corner. Elaine hears the sound of the fridge opening and closing. Chelsea reappears, holding a bottle of Elaine's favorite ginger ale and hands it to her. Now we can get started. I think I'll start with jobs that need my degree and go from there. First step, writing job. Second step, finish grad school. Third step, slay the dragon and live happily ever after. A list of impossible things. I like it. Look for an English job. I can do this. There are plenty of jobs around here that need good grammarians on their payroll. How hard can this search be? Four days later. Elaine collapses backward onto the couch cushion. Chelsea, with her own laptop, keeps searching. Oh, I can't do this anymore. Not a single part-time job related to writing or English or anything relevant to my life without years of experience. I'm exhausted. My eyes hurt. And all of these jobs look the same. Seriously, there has to be somebody hiring around here. Time to broaden the search. How about Pizza Shack? No, they still haven't added gluten-free crust to their menu. How about Bloody Mary's Wine and Spirits? You know I don't drink, right? No, but I do. No. <laughs> oh, you should totally work in Splendor. Serve alcohol? Run into everyone I know? Ever? No thanks. True, you would have to serve August and Drea while they canoodle in the corner, making lovey-dovey faces at each other. But we could run all their speed dating events. Elaine gives Chelsea a look. Okay, okay, well, here's one for a place called Stripers. Oh, wait, it's called Strippers. Oh, wait, that says they're hiring strippers. I don't dance, exotic or otherwise. What are you typing into your search? Local jobs. That's pretty general. Well, they don't exactly have perfect jobs for Lane Harper as a search option. What about you? Any luck? All I see are jobs for the wrong professions. Like sales, analyst, 
sales analyst, call center rep, admin support, legal aid. Wow, and you're criticizing my job search. I think we're doing it wrong. Yeah, we're definitely missing something. I wish I knew what it was. How's your network? They say it's all about who you know. Elaine gives Chelsea another look. Right, we'll think of something. I should just become a hermit. Live in the middle of nowhere with my books, some artwork, and endless ginger ale. Do you think that could work? As lucrative as that sounds, I'm not sure what keywords to search for. This is pointless. I'll never find the right job. All I know is higher education. Paying bills isn't always about the right job. It's about, well, paying bills. It's about doing what you need so that you can eventually do what you want. Hmm. Oh, hold on! What about Big Box? Chelsea pulls up the Big Box website. You know that huge superstore? Big box, big box, come and get what you need. Big box, big box, half the price, twice the speed. Elaine just stares at her. It's like three blocks away from campus. I see flyers for it on the school bulletin boards all the time. They always seem to be hiring. I don't know. Sounds like a lot of people. And that close to campus? Isn't that exactly what you wanted? Close to here, close to campus... We've struck out with everything else. I'm applying for you. Wait, no, I'm not ready. I haven't read the qualifications yet. I already clicked submit. <laughs> it's your own fault for sending me your resume. Come on, Lainey. Live dangerously. The worst that can happen is you don't get it. No, the worst that could happen is I get it and they make me the greeter. <laughs> A few days later, Elaine paces in the living room. She rubs her hands together, then on her pants and paces some more. I can't believe they actually gave me an interview. Anne Boleyn, 16th century Queen of England and second wife of Henry VIII, sits on the couch reading Elaine's copy of Women of the British Empire. She does not look up from the book. You're wearing a path in the rug. I know. I can't help it. Sit. Breathe. You'll feel better. I'll feel better if it's been rescheduled. Or better yet, if it's been cancelled. You know, they didn't even ask me if mine would work for me. How do they know that I'm not doing anything better? I should check to see if they've changed their minds. They have not. Elaine continues to pace. You should have one of those Fitbits. Count your steps. Or is it, make your steps count? I didn't bring you here to make fun of my anxiety. Boleyn finally looks up from her book. Yes, and I'm very glad that you're choosing to summon me only when needed. But that doesn't mean we can't have fun. And you must admit how ridiculous this is. You're pacing for an interview with Big Box. It's been so long since I interviewed for anything. And even longer since you interviewed for something you didn't want, didn't believe in, but desperately needed. Exactly. What should I do? Well, you already know what you want. You must now learn what it is they want. Give them what they want to hear. Control the room at all times, but let them think they have the control. So that was the ticket for you and Henry VIII. Please, just Henry, dear. And yes, I knew what I wanted and then learned how to get him what he wanted. Sex. No, not sex. In fact, the denial of it. By refusing to be his mistress, I ensured that he thought of nothing else. I always used my brain first. Mind over body, my dear. 
we have that in common. Right. And he broke up with the Catholic Church to marry me. And then he had you killed. You really must work on your subtlety. Or tact. Or maybe just sympathy on the whole. Yes, he had me executed. Men are fickle that way. And Henry, well, he was in a league of his own. He hated that you couldn't give him a son. A hatred that blinded him to what I did give him. But why are we talking about this? Are you avoiding the task at hand? Take control of your life. You have power. Yes, power. Empowerment. My daughter, a brilliant girl, stood up to a culture of men. Her own father did not see that women could, in fact, change the world. You, too, can change the world. Your daughter became Queen Elizabeth. The Queen Elizabeth. She changed the entire empire. Even had her own era where art was loved and appreciated. I'm just trying to get a job in retail. Yes, the world was changed. And all because one woman knew how to make a difference. Control the room, Elaine, and you will get what you want. All of a sudden, this interview feels insignificant. From changing a dynasty to interviewing for a big box. Sort of anticlimactic, isn't it? You will do fine. Will you go with me? Yes, if you wish. Elaine sits at a table in a back room of Big Box. Three other people are her age or a bit younger sit on her side of the table, and an empty chair stares at them from the other side. In the awkward and deafening silence, Elaine hears the tick of the wall clock. None of them make eye contact. Anne Boleyn paces behind Elaine. Finally, Chuck Tortle, the short, stout, 40-something Big Box manager, walks into the room and sits in the open chair. All right, let's get this over with. Welcome to your one and only Big Box interview, where you place all your hopes and dreams on the line for this great opportunity. You four have applied for our one creative brand specialist position. This role requires exceptional written and verbal communication skills, work ethic, initiative, and customer service. This series of questions from corporate will help me evaluate you and make sure you aren't criminals. So, why don't you each tell me your name criminal status, and what interests you about this job? Hi, I'm Cassidy. I'm a biology major here at the university. I don't think I'm a criminal. What interests me about this job is working for your pet center. Great. We're understaffed in that department. Do you have any uh, previous work experience? Um, no. Okay. Do you have any pets? Well, I had a fish once, but it died. That is the stupidest thing you could have said. Uh, why do you want to work at Big Box? Oh, I, I get school credit towards my major. Are you majoring in running a cash register? You better check on that credit. Okay, what about you? What's your deal? Hi, I'm Max. I'm not a criminal. Unless caring too much is a crime, then lock me up. I applied because I don't want to work for a good boss. I want to work for great boss. I'm great with people and do all my work to the max. And your name is Max. Never make that awful wordplay joke again. Max ignores the slight, smiles, and winks. Boleyn leans over Elaine's shoulder. He winked. He just winked. Did anyone see that? Elaine cracks a small smirk. Is something funny, miss? Let's hear from you. Okay. Um, my name is Elaine. I'm a university graduate, and um, I need to pay bills. 
Give a bit more, dear. So I can finish grad school. Now make it seem like you want to be here. And, um, this seems like a great fit because of my English degree and, uh, my communication skills. That wasn't the worst answer. English, eh? We have ourselves a thinker. Are you familiar with Microsoft Office Suite? Yes. Is that part of the job? Not really, but it's on the skill sheet. Okay, what about you, other girl? Hi, I'm Alexa. My parents said I can't live in their basement with my boyfriend anymore. Well, that sounds personal. Okay, now let's say a customer comes up to you and says, this picture frame is supposed to be on sale. The sale ended yesterday. Do you give her the sale price? Max's hand shoots into the air. Don't need to raise your hand. Now she thinks you're a weirdo. I would give her the sale price and then offer another item and give that a discount too. The customer always comes first. The customer does come first, but that's because they have money that we want. You would cost us a lot of money if you did that every time. How about you? I would say no. You should have come in yesterday. Try a different store. Women have friends. She might complain to them, costing us even more potential business, and we never recommend our competition, ever. I would say we can't give you the sale price, but if you buy it anyway, here's a free fish. She's buying a picture frame. What does that have to do with the fish? Let's see if English degree can say something smarter than that. Think about what everyone else just said. Figure out what he wants to hear. Think. I would say, let me see what my supervisor can do for you. It looks like we can't bring back the sale price at this time, but I noticed that there are some other picture frames that are currently on sale. Good. Keep going. And with our competitor match guarantee, you won't find better prices anywhere else. Competitor match guarantee? So... She doesn't complain to her friends, because she's a woman. Well done, dear. Okay, five points. There are points? No. Okay, now I have a question that I technically have to ask, even though it's stupid. Corporate likes the outside-the-box stuff. If you were marooned on a hot, deserted island and could only have one fruit for company, what would that fruit be and why? Hmm. Oh, I would have a grapple. It's like a grape and an apple. To the max! Why mess with a good apple? And I warned you about that joke. Next. I would take a strawberry. Because honestly, who doesn't like a good strawberry? I'm allergic. Next. I would take a potato. They're good. They're tough. You can have hash browns, french fries, home fries, mashed potatoes. You can do anything with a good potato. Not a fruit. Next. Okay. No pressure. We need something tough like a potato, sweet like a strawberry, and it must survive in hot weather. And Chuck clearly likes apples. Don't mess this up. I think I might take a pine apple. They're tough and professional on the outside, they're sweet on the inside, and they thrive in hot climates. Huh, that's actually a good answer to a pointless question. An awkward silence passes as Chuck scribbles on his sheet. Um, can I change my answer to what she said? I'd still bring a potato. Days later, Elaine rides in the passenger seat as Chelsea drives her to her new job.
big day today. Are you nervous? Why would I be nervous? All I have to do is not be late and impress a new boss and learn all there is to know about Big Box and interact with people. Lots and lots of people. No pressure, right? Is it hot in here? Why are my hands sweaty? Calm down, Lainey. Deep breaths. You're good. You can do this stuff blindfolded. Oh, a blindfold. That sounds like a good idea. If you can pick a thesis topic, I think you can stock produce for a couple of hours. You got this. Chelsea pulls up to the main big box entrance. Are you sure about this? I can still turn back. I can probably squeeze into your giant bag and come to work with you. Get out of here, you weirdo. But there are people. Go, or you'll be late. Reluctantly, Elaine gets out of the car and looks on as Chelsea drives away, like a dog whose owner has just left the house for groceries. Elaine walks through the automatic doors into Big Box. Although she's been to this store plenty of times during her years in grad school, she looks lost and out of place. You look lost and out of place. Elaine turns and sees Devin Gray, a young man in his 20s. He's wearing blue jeans, a big box polo shirt, and stylish, full-rimmed glasses. Uh, I'm, uh, here for my first day. Ha! I knew you looked familiar. And by familiar, I mean completely new. I'm Devin, by the way. Come on, meeting's about to start. Am I late? No, but the boss will probably say you are, so be prepared. Devin leads Elaine into a small meeting room near the front of the store. A large group of employees, all wearing the same big box polos, sit in chairs or stand along the back wall. Chuck stands at the front of the room. All right, turds, let's get down to business. Hold on, Charles. I got a new recruit. Who are you? I'm still Devin. Not you. Who are you? Devin turns to Elaine. That's actually a good question. Who are you? Uh, Elaine Harper. Oh yeah, pineapple girl. You're late. See me after. Sit down. Now, who has my numbers? An employee stands and gives Chuck a clipboard with all sorts of graphs, charts, and figures on it. Well, what are you still standing around for? Sit down. Okay, what do we have here? Looks like sales were down overall yesterday. And who knocked over the shirt rack in the clothing department? The employees look around uncomfortably. Devin, smiling, points at himself. I had to reorganize the entire rack yesterday, and you know how much I hate having to do your work. Also, none of you got a single customer to fill out our very small feedback questionnaire. So basically, you guys suck. Let's do better today. Now get to it. Good talk, Charles. Chuck ignores Devin. Elaine approaches her new boss. Hi, I'm, uh, sorry I was late. What? Oh, I already forgot about that. What do you want? You told me to see you after. It's my first day. Oh, right. Let's see. Who can I pair you up with for today? You, Toadstool, come here. Show Pineapple Girl the ropes and get her a name tag. I'll do it. I won't have customers for a little while. Fine. Devin will get you a name tag. Get out. It's lunchtime at Big Box. Elaine brings her packed lunch outside and sits down on a bench. She quickly texts Chelsea. Why did I let you sign me up for this? I have to deal with people. The public. And I had to watch a wildly misogynistic video about workplace harassment. My boss is like a drill sergeant. Merchandise is apparently a verb. 
P.S. I hate you. Elaine puts her phone away and pulls out string cheese and a bunch of grapes. Hey, Elaine! Devin walks out through the automatic doors and heads toward Elaine. He's carrying a bag of pretzels. The break room is inside. It's the one labeled break room. Just wanted some peace and quiet. <sighs> Me too. I enjoy the peace of the packed parking lot and the quiet of the nearby freeway. Oh, and all the nature. If you squint, you can see a tree back behind the red lobster. How is that a squirrel? Devin sits down next to Elaine. How do you like it, this being your first day and all? It's fine. After the grand tour and Oscar-winning training videos, what did Chuck have you do? I'm moving everything from aisle 7 to aisle 9. Wow. He started you on the fun stuff right away? Tomorrow will never live up to all this glory. Elaine nods dismissively and pulls a strip from her string cheese. So, if you had to pick, who would be your favorite? I don't want to be rude, Devin. I'm just trying to have a quiet lunch. Ah, I appreciate the directness. I was thinking you'd be polite and let me annoy you for at least the first five minutes. So you came out here with the express goal of annoying me? Elaine, I'm hurt. After all we've been through... I met you this morning. You would just assume that me saying I came out here to annoy you meant that I came out here to annoy you? Elaine concentrates on her string cheese. Fine, fine. I can take a hint. I'll let you get back to your cheese. It's so captivating and stringy. Thank you for understanding. Devin stands up and walks to the bench across from Elaine. I claim this bench as my bench. A bench away from other benches. A place to be alone with my thoughts on my bench. My private bench. Elaine cracks a smile before quickly turning away. Devin begins to place pretzel sticks on the bench, spreading them out. <sighs> Needed the room anyway. These benches aren't big enough for two people in their lunches. What are you doing? Shh! Did you just shush me? I came out here for the solitude and silence. You cannot be- Elaine! Please. Devin spells his name with pretzels. You're ridiculous. Yes, but I only had enough pretzels to spell Devin. Elaine rolls her eyes and finishes eating her cheese and grapes. Okay, time to stock more shelves, I guess. Thank you, college degree. College degree? Why aren't you in management? This is just a temporary thing while I get on my feet and get back into grad school. I could never work here full time. Ouch. Daggered. I just mean, the work isn't exactly intellectual. Look, I'm going to go inside and get you a shovel. You'll need it if you want to keep digging yourself in deeper. I didn't mean- It's cool. Devin picks up the pretzels and gets up from his bench away from other benches. I'd offer you some pretzels, but that bench is filthy. Devin looks at the pretzels in his hand. I keep telling myself to choose food over comedy, but- the comedy gets me every time. Devin. It's a lonely, hungry life we comedians live, sacrificing our snacks for the entertainment of the public. I'll catch you later, Elaine the college graduate. Before Elaine can say anything, 
Devin grins and hurries back into the store, his base. Chelsea sits at her desk, putting finishing touches to some paperwork. She stuffs the papers into a large envelope, licks it shut, and puts it into a basket on her desk. Gerald opens the door before Chelsea can respond. Chelsea, so you are here. Of course I am. I do still work here, right? That Chelsea. Always so funny. I assumed you were sick or otherwise indisposed. You missed the Inclusion Initiative Task Force meeting. I was talking with the students at the Advocacy House about all the vandalism on campus. They're all moved in, classes start in a couple weeks, and they're walking past anti-gay slurs on the campus. Chelsea, that's the whole point of the Inclusion Initiative Task Force. That's way too many syllables. Can we call it the IITF or ITF? The Task Force is not a joke, Miss Wu. It was already featured in a cover story of the local paper. They interviewed me. Yes, and that's what campus committees do. Talk about some subject for an hour every few weeks. It's getting press, but that doesn't mean it will get results. We're working on this graffiti situation. You should have been working with us. I was working with the students. Those directly affected. I also swung by the circle and helped facilities clean off the paint. That's not your job. You're far too important to scrape paint like some janitor. Do you know what my salary is? The task force is making real change. This is how change happens at such a big institution. Not by scrubbing graffiti, but by putting a bunch of smart, important people in a room and talking. We had a wonderful discussion about community outreach today. Community, like, beyond the campus? Telling the locals how inclusive and great we are. What's wrong with sharing our attitudes with the public? I'm working with the students who are being targeted by this person. Not just talking about how to get in the paper. Chelsea. One of those students is on the task force herself. Maggie, I think her name is. Yes, Maggie is your token lesbian on the committee. I'm sure she picks up her bright red gay phone afterward and calls all the gays to tell them everything. Gerald narrows his eyes. He drops his smile. She wouldn't be our token lesbian if you actually attended the meeting, which is your job. The Inclusion Initiative Task Force is the start of me fulfilling the promise I made during the presidential search. It's getting a lot of good attention. You could be part of that good attention. Or you can distance yourself from the future. My inauguration is just in a few weeks, the start of my future. Maybe our future together. But mine either way. Don't skip another meeting. Several days later, Elaine is fully on time for Chuck's opening inspirational speech. All right, weirdos, settle down. Let's get down to business. First off, whoever stole my applesauce yesterday, I want you to know that you are a villain and you will be caught. Now, who has my numbers? Great, sit down. Okay, so it looks like our grocery sales went up and everything else went down. Super fail. Devin, I'm looking at you, kid. It seems to me like grocery sales always outstrip your precious electronic sales. Well, Charlie. Chuck. If you say so. I could be wrong, but it might have something to do with people needing to eat every day. Well, you think you're clever, don't you? Anyway, numbers don't lie, people. You guys suck. 
Now go do better. Dismissed. Everyone else files out while Elaine approaches Chuck. Hi, Chuck. What do you have me doing today? What did you do yesterday? You had me take everything from aisle 7 and move it to aisle 9. It took two shifts. Oh, yeah, it turns out that's not going to work. I need you to move it all back to where it was. Really? Why won't it work? Don't ask questions. I don't ask you questions, do I? But you just did ask- Get out of here and take that scanner with you. I want you to take inventory of the stuff you moved. But you literally just had me do the opposite yesterday. And I changed my mind. I hate to break it to you, Pineapple Girl, but this is about revenue. This whole business comes down to revenue. I have a certain number of employees and a certain amount of money. Money that comes from products that we sell. Products that are strategically placed for better revenue. And now I have a certain number of products that need to be moved from aisle 9 back to aisle 7 so that they can generate that better revenue. That just makes everything sound like a tick mark on a clipboard. Well, that's exactly right. Because the sheets on the clipboard eventually go to corporate and justify all of your jobs. And not just tick marks on a clipboard, either. Corporate also loves graphs. But your employees aren't statistics. We're people. This clipboard says otherwise. I do have a bachelor's degree in business administration, you know. Do I wish the system could be different? Sure. I also wish I knew who stole my applesauce. It was cinnamon. But we can't have everything, can we? Minutes later... Elaine pushes a loading cart to the middle of aisle 9. She starts loading products onto the cart. Anne Boleyn stands beside her. She holds a scanner and wears a blue big box polo. She begins scanning items on the shelves. You are on sale. You are on sale. You are on sale. Elaine looks on, amused at her own imagination. A customer approaches. Elaine shrinks back. Boleyn lowers the scanner. Now's your time, dear. Someone in your kingdom is in need. The customer asks Elaine where she can find bug spray. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. It's actually my first day. I don't know where everything is yet. Sorry. Bug spray's on the far end of aisle 17, just past bedding and ethnic foods. Elaine turns, startled, to see Devin approaching. The customer nods to him and walks away. Hey, Devin. Thanks for the help. You have a suspicious definition of first. Were you aware of that? As in, it's actually my first day. Or perhaps we're not agreeing on the definition of actually. Oh, yeah, that. I... Well, I'm, I'm just not good with people. No, I think you're just not good at counting. This is your fourth day of work. But, see, if I tell people it's my first day, they'll leave me alone. Thus... Not good with people. Wait, so you're saying that if I just tell people it's my first day, I don't have to deal with any of them? Elaine nods enthusiastically. Nah, the people make this job bearable. You would really rather stock shelves than talk to people? Oh god, yes. No worries. Devin points to Elaine's walkie-talkie. That's why you have the walkie. If you ever need help with anything, just ask. Someone's always listening. That sounds ominous. I just mean that someone will help. Anytime. I don't know. I don't even like calling to order pizza when I'm hungry. I need at least an hour to work up to it. Nah, it's easy. Here, watch. 
Devin holds up his walkie-talkie and pushes the button. Hey, does anyone know what flavor of applesauce Chuck lost today? I found one. Cinnamon. Did you find cinnamon applesauce? Sorry, this one's chocolate. Wait, this isn't even applesauce. It's a pudding cup. Sorry about that. Pudding is nothing like applesauce. Get back to work. Devin lowers his walkie-talkie and shrugs. Chuck really wants that applesauce. Seriously. I gotta run back to electronics, but don't hesitate to ask me for help, okay? Elaine nods. Devin juggles his walkie-talkie as he heads to his department. Boleyn points to Elaine's walkie-talkie. You see? You have the tools and their willing support. All you must do is find how to best utilize their strengths to support your weakness. And it works the other way, too. Later, still intimidated by the walkie-talkies, Elaine wanders over to the tech deck to look for Devin. She's nearly there when she freezes. August is standing at the help desk, facing the other way. Elaine dives behind a kiosk of movies as August looks around, trying to find an employee to help him. Elaine crouches, her breath coming in waves. Shit, 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 what is he doing here? Shit, shit, shit. Belen sits on the floor beside Elaine. She wrinkles her nose at August. Well, they do sell everything here. He may just be shopping. He's certainly not looking for you, unless Chelsea told him you're working here. Elaine's eyes widen in fear. August notices the kiosk and saunters toward it. Oh no. August browses the movies on one side of the kiosk, while Elaine claps her hand over her mouth on the other. Never did see that one. I wonder if Drea would like it. Seriously, does anyone even work here? Elaine hears August turn and walk away. Peeking around the kiosk, she sees him pass the help desk and walk over to the video games. Devin comes up behind Elaine and crouches down beside her. What are we hiding from? <laughs> Elaine eeps and once again claps a hand over her lips. Devin gives her a toothy smile and waits. No one! Ah, so it's a who, not a what. It's a nothing and a nobody. So it has nothing to do with that guy over there? The one you keep shifting around this display to avoid? No, I came over here to ask you a question, but I clearly should get practice with the walkie-talkie, so I'll leave now. Elaine starts to crawl away. Oh no you don't. You're not getting away that easily. Time for some customer service. Go assist that dude. He looks like a lost puppy. I can't. Are you telling me that you wouldn't help a lost puppy if you saw one? Are you the devil or something? I don't do customer service. You do it. This is your kingdom after all. Touché. But this is too much fun. You do it. It's easy. Just say, Hi, my name is Elaine. How can I help you? He already knows my name. So this is about him. Elaine glares. If he knows your name, then it should be even easier. No, he can't see me here. Are you embarrassed to work here? Rude. It's not like that. We have history. No, we don't. All I did was get you a name tag and put a training video in the VCR for you. No, August and I, we have history. Ah, the pup's name is August. All right, but if I do this, then you owe me. Not really, but you do have to talk at lunch. 
We work together, but I know nothing about you. And you've seen the other people that work here. I could use a normal friend. But I'm not normal. I'll take that as a yes, and a thank you. You're welcome. Devin stands up and walks over to August. Hey there, I'm Devin. Welcome to the tech deck. Do I know you? You look familiar. Uh, I don't think so. Oh, weird. Well, what can I do for you? I'm looking for a new link cable for my flashback system. What are you playing? Mostly Wrath of Olympus 2. Greek mythology. Good choice. The story is a bit unoriginal, but the DLC made it so much better. And the co-op mode. Right? I like sniping with the golden arrows when my buddy tanks for me. I keep trying to get my fiancé to play. I was born to tank. Always looking for a good sniper. You'll have to give me your gamer handle. We can play sometime. The link cables are over here. Follow me. They just met, and I'm pretty sure they're friends now. How does he do that? Bolin peeks around the kiosk and watches Devin and August depart. People are social creatures, built to fit together. What Devin does is not magic, Elaine. If you stop mystifying human interaction, you might be able to learn how it actually works. The next day, Elaine walks into the big box break room for lunch. Devin sits at the table with his lunch already out. He gestures to one of the seats. There she is. Papa Squat, astronaut. Happy Friday. Elaine grabs her lunch from the fridge and sits across from Devin. So, aside from running into August, who I assume is your parole officer, how do you like it here? Are things slightly less new than they were a week ago? He is not my parole officer. Loan shark, social media bully. Elaine gives him a look. Sorry, I'm just kidding. It's obvious that he's your estranged twin brother. Elaine waits, thoroughly annoyed. But seriously, how do you like the job? It's okay, I suppose. It's just... There's not much to it, to this job. I struggle to talk to customers, and the stuff Chuck has me do, it's kind of mindless. Stocking shelves is mindless, yes. But if you let someone else do it, just imagine the chaos of the shelves. I noticed you carefully adjusting everything so the labels were facing the exact same way. But that's not the only part of this job. There's more to it. What do you mean? How do you survive a job with mindless work? I mean, anyone can do the mindless stuff, right? Sure. Which means you can be replaced. The trick is to find your niche and make yourself necessary. Find the parts to the job that are not mindless and get good at those. You mean like you and your computer skills? Sure. I mean, we sell literally everything here, including kitchen sinks. You must have knowledge about something. I'm not very materialistic. Ah, you're a monk, living in an empty room, just you and the Lord. That would explain the frequent silence. Do you cook, paint, read? Monks read, right? We sell food, art supplies, books. Just being in physical proximity to books doesn't really help someone who likes to read. What parts of this job aren't completely mind-numbing? You could help make sales. Chuck is always going on about not making our numbers. Selling products makes you instantly valuable. And talk to people all day? 
I don't know if you've realized by now, but I'm not really good with people. You just need practice. My mom says I wasn't even born with social skills. Eh, nobody is. Social skills can absolutely be learned. It's not something people are born with. Seriously, take it from a person who couldn't speak to a single girl in high school. Now, I'll talk to anyone, whether they like it or not. But people are either introverts or extroverts. I'm an introvert. Bad with people, good with myself. Being an introvert doesn't disqualify you from having social skills. Just like being an extrovert doesn't guarantee them. All that tells you is where you get your energy, where your comfort zone is. Where did you learn all of this? What do you mean? Computers, psychology, sales. Where did you go to college? I didn't go to college. That's a lie. I went for about a month before deciding it wasn't for me. What? You mean you didn't finish college? College doesn't own the copyright for knowledge. But why not get a degree? Degree and I tried to make it work. We really did. In the end, though, we both realized we weren't right for each other. I was finally the one to break it off. It's not you, Degree. It's me. Why? College gives you the next step in education. An environment of learning and exploration, surrounded by experts with infinite knowledge. School isn't teaching what's necessary for people like me to live. The real world forces me to learn, to explore, to understand people, to understand their differences. Education can sometimes coddle people and then they are unprepared for the dark reality of retail. Actually, it would be great if everyone had to do a stint in retail. It really opens your eyes to people from all walks of life. Everyone needs toilet paper. Race, ethnicity, religion, we all poop. You just don't get that from college life. It felt too much like an in-crowd for me. But that's oversimplified. Not everyone is the same in college. And you get to explore new ideas and theories that can be applied in the real world. You're assuming that what you learn in college isn't applicable in the real world. Not at all. College isn't for everybody. Take me. I like to get my hands dirty to learn. I like to tear apart a computer and reassemble it to really understand its inner workings. I tear open a book, and I'm asleep within three minutes. The notion that education isn't for everyone is a construct used to socioeconomically oppressed, disadvantaged groups. Convince them that it's not the right fit for people like them, so they remain oppressed. Excellent point. But wouldn't you say that college caters to the privileged? That the education system itself is oppressive to disadvantaged groups? That's really accurate. I think our positions are actually really similar, just different perspectives. Exactly. Anyway, what could they possibly teach me in a class about being a charming salesman? Clearly nothing. Ding. How can I learn that? I could never sell anything. What did you do before working here? I was in grad school and taught English at the university. You have a master's degree? Well, you're a girl, so is it a mistress's degree? No, that sounds horrible. I didn't finish yet. I have one more class still to take. And women can be masters, too. Agreed. Teaching isn't really different from sales. You were in a classroom full of people, I'm assuming, and you talk to them. You're selling them ideas. It's different. Not so much. Selling products is still just selling knowledge. 
People all over the world eat soggy salad because they don't dry their lettuce. They stop eating salad altogether because soggy salad is shit. Total shit. But then you tell them about the wonder of modern technology, the salad spinner. You just saved their lives because without you, they would give up on salad. And that is a slippery slope, Elaine. Wet, soggy, and slippery. You have really refreshing perspectives. You would really be great in a classroom, if you ever decide to try it again. Not that you need to. I understand that you're giving me a compliment, so I will accept it with a gracious smile and a bow. Stop by the tech deck later, and I'll give you an employee sales manual for you to study, at which I'm sure you excel. Then you can make a big sale next week. I can help, of course. Chuck bursts into the break room. Devin, pineapple girl. What's up, Charles? Did you see anyone take my applesauce? Yeah, I took it. I'm serious. Pineapple girl? I didn't see anyone take it. Maybe someone mistook it for theirs. Or maybe it got mistaken for product and is in the applesauce aisle. Good idea. I'll check there. Chuck leaves as quickly as he appeared. I gotta go. But guess what? We just had a conversation that lasted like ten minutes. You're making progress already. Don't worry, I won't make a habit out of it. Devin tosses his trash and leaves the break room. Boleyn sits down beside Elaine and steals one of her plantain chips. A good leader realizes that she is as human as her subjects. Evaluating the quality of a person will always be subjective to the evaluator. Someone or something worthless to you has infinite value in the eyes of another. Formal education does better a person, but it does not increase her worth. Elaine ponders this as she finishes her lunch. Gerald sits at his desk, talking with Sidney, who takes notes. Half a dozen boxes are packed and stacked against the wall. His office door is open, giving him a view of the receptionist's desk. I don't know. I think a choir would be nice. You don't think it's too much? Not for you. Gerald sees Maggie approach the receptionist and waves to her. Come on in, Maggie. Maggie tentatively enters Gerald's office and smiles softly. Maggie, you remember my TA, Sydney, from the Inclusion Initiative Task Force. Maggie nods to Sydney. Sydney gives her a sideways look as she writes. Hi, Maggie. Nice of you to come. Gerald gestures to an open chair. Maggie sits. So, Maggie, how are you liking the task force? Oh, it's nice. Insightful to see how things get done around here. Thank you for including me. Of course. I think it was Sydney's idea to invite you, wasn't it? Nice work, Sydney. No problem, Jerry. It was, uh, actually Ms. Wu who recommended me. Well, sure. Anyone can recommend someone. I'm in charge of scheduling the meetings, so I decide who gets to come. I'm the one who actually invited you. Oh, of course. Everyone here works so hard that competition is sometimes second nature, right, Sydney? Mm-hmm. So I called you in for a reason, Maggie. As I'm sure you know, there are posters everywhere. My inauguration is in a few weeks, not long after school starts. Since the inclusion initiative is so important to me and my presidency, I'd like it to be discussed during the proceedings. But, obviously, I can't discuss it myself. 
That would seem quite self-aggrandizing. But if a student spoke, one who has been a part of the task force and has been moved by the importance of the work. Jerry's being modest. He really deserves all the credit and then some for making this campus diverse and inclusive. But he has a speech to give already, so you could certainly help by discussing the task force. I see. Okay, well, I could probably write something to present. Oh, don't worry about that. I'll write you a speech. I have a degree in communications. Oh, yeah, I guess that would be fine. Splendid. Thank you for helping us out, Maggie. And you know a lot of reporters will be there. Some of them might want to interview you about it afterwards. Make sure to wear something nice. Send me some mirror selfies of outfits. I'll tell you which one. Sure thing. I love to see young women supporting each other. That's all of your time we'll need today, Maggie. Good luck with classes this semester. Thanks, Dean. President Wagner. <laughs> Not quite yet. But regardless, call me Jerry. Chelsea walks outside on the sunny campus grounds, stretching her legs. She notes the lack of people around. Where is everyone? Did we have an unscheduled rapture or something? She pulls out her phone and checks for any missed messages about raptures, scheduled or otherwise. Puzzled, she continues walking and decides to enjoy the warm silence. She crosses the green space and heads for the student union. In the building's front courtyard, she sees a growing crowd of people, all swarming around something she cannot see. That's where everyone is. She approaches the crowd. The sun hides behind a dense cloud. The warmth evaporates with the light, and Chelsea feels a sudden chill down her spine. She sees what gathered the students together. Someone has strapped a dummy to a tree with rope. The dummy wears a charred rainbow flag like a cape. On the chest, three swords, impaling gender symbols, are painted in red, along with the words, Cleanse Diversity. Chelsea pulls out her phone and frantically dials. Dean Wagner, it's Chelsea. Get to the student union. You really need to see this. Dayton Writers Movement presents Unwritten. Executive Producers Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside. Producers Anna Adamy, Carrie Zahn. Lead Writers Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside. Story by Anna Adamy, Chris Burnside, Amanda D., Joey Ferber, Jana Gomes, Kathy Holt, Cece Hutton, Stephen Gallenberg, Grace Poppy, Tavis Taylor, Assistant Director, Megan Burnside, Sound Engineer, Dan Seavers, Theme Song by Joey Ferber, Kelsey Mills, and Ian Mortensen. For more Unwritten, visit our website at unwrittenpodcast.com. This is Jordan Lopez, voice of Chelsea Wu. I wanted to thank you all for listening and remind you to rate and review Unwritten on iTunes. Every review helps us show higher in the rankings. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter at DWM Presents. Thank you.